Good morning. Uh, today we're going to talk about communion. Uh, we're in the middle of an Easter series, and uh, we're taking a long time on this week um, of Easter and this whole, all the, the different things that happened in the week of Easter, the Holy Week. We're taking a long time to delve into the different facets going on because each day it seems like in the Easter uh, narrative is just the, it's packed with huge implications, huge things. And some of them we take for granted. And I think communion gets to be one of those. Uh, communion is one of the things that you've probably done for a long time if you've been a Christian or been in church for a while. And uh, you're like, oh yeah, I go up, take the grape juice, take a little bread, you always taste funny, go back to my seat. Right? If we're just honest with each other. And then if you haven't been in church and you see communion happen, you're like, what are they doing? This is so, they're drinking Kool-Aid. They literally are drinking the Kool-Aid. Right? I mean, let's just be honest with each other. And, and it's one of those things where we all come from different backgrounds, different you know, theological backgrounds. Some of us have, uh, grew up Catholic and some of us grew up nothing and some of us grew up you know, totally something else. And, and so all those interpretations of what communion looks like is different for all of us. So I just kind of want to take a little bit of time today and put communion in context to Easter and then maybe it'll make a little bit more sense for all of us because Really, communion is, is kind of just a taking the Passover meal on steroids. Okay, that's, that's what it should be, what it's supposed to look like. And I think because we do it so often, uh, maybe we take it a little bit for granted. Uh, I know I do. Uh, Kevin and I were joking because we're good church kids. We've been growing up in the church, and we both are probably the, like the favorite sons of the, the churches we grew up in. I mean, Kevin works at the church that he grew up in, and you know, I was the pastor's kid, so hey. And what we would do... What all good church kids do. <laughs> My mother laughs at me right now, right? And you know, if you know, you know, if you were the favorite church kid, you know what's going on. You can sneak back there and you give the little the, the ladies who ever prepared communion a little wink, a little smile, maybe a little hug, and then you just eat on bread and do learn how to do shots of communion back there in the back. Right? That's that's what it's all about. And you go home, and, and mom cooked a good meal, and you're like, what's your problem? I was like, oh, it feels so good, because I just drank a gallon of grape juice. Right? And that's, that's what you do as a good church kid. That's, that's what happens. My dad, we did a church plant when I was like seven. And you guys, you guys know what the Hawaiian loaf is? Right? Oh, the best bread in the world. It's all sweet and good. and oh. He would get the Hawaiian loaf. And so I would just eat like half this thing. There's 40 people in the church plant. We get two huge loaves. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. communion Sunday is my favorite Sunday. <laughs> so anyway, if you, if you were that person, then you know what I'm talking about. But because of that, because of even the jokes that I just told about communion, you can see how this very intense, this very particular time, this very intentional time that God gives us, that Jesus says, listen, I will take you through the steps. This is that important that we can just kind of write it off. And the last thing we need to do is write off communion. Okay, so we're going to... I wanted to bring a little humor into it, but this is incredibly serious of what communion actually is. Okay, so you ready for that? That's where we're going to go today and what we're going to talk about today. Uh, why all these people 
Easter happened last week. We're talking about Jesus' triumphant entry. And all these people from all over the world, from all over the Roman Empire, are in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, Jerusalem's normally a town of about 50,000 people at the time of uh, Passover. And this week, there's probably 150,000, 200,000 people there. So it's like a college town. When college comes in session, everything gets crazy that week. Does this, does this make sense? Does that help you? What's going on? So this is what's going on during Passover week. And all kinds of people are all coming from all over the world, actually. And they came for the feast days. And there's actually, in this week, there's two feast days, two huge feast days, two party days. And one of them's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And one of them's called uh, Passover. And these are two huge, important days, Passover being the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar and the most important uh, day in Christian calendar as well. And, and they coincide with each other, and there's a reason Jesus uses Passover to do his ultimate sacrifice. There is a reason. God has a sense of timing, and he, he coordinates things to happen during these feast days because there's this, this calendar almost going on in the Jewish psyche of this is when God's going to act. And Passover is one of these intentional times where God does something amazing. So the whole country is together. Feast of Unleavened Bread is kind of a, it's all about removing sin from your life. And unleavened bread was when you would not cook with yeast. And you, would, you actually would go through the house with tweezers. And this is what built up. You wouldn't do this thousands of years ago because there weren't a thing called tweezers. But... Today, and even today in Jewish society, you go around and the kids all have tweezers and you're looking for any morsel of yeast or mold in your house and you're picking at it and taking it out. This is symbolic of examining your life and seeing anything that is uh, foul, anything that is bad, anything that you know needs to be removed, it is picking it out and so that you can be blameless before God. The whole feast is about that. And so to symbolize that, you would cook unleavened bread. No yeast in the bread. That's which makes it rises. So if you ever wondered why the, the bread's unleavened, um, it also symbolizes they didn't have yeast. And, um, it just You have to cook it fast um, and basically a, a cracker. Um, but the thing is, no yeast in it because that would symbolize a I mean, yeast is yeast. It's bacteria. It grows stuff. It's not good, really. I mean, it makes bread wonderful, but other than that, it's not that great. And so you have this idea in this this whole feast day, thinking about self-examination, examining your very home. How do I remove the junky parts? How do I remove that? And so that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, and that's going on during this week. The second is Passover, and this is Passover is huge in the life of Jewish people, and it should be huge in our life. Because Passover, if you've uh, watched Charlton Heston or any of the uh, Ten Commandments or the Exodus movies or uh, Prince of Egypt and the animated uh, movie that came out a few years ago, you know what I'm talking about, or if you just have read uh, the Scripture. But this is a huge day in which um, it's the culmination of the plagues. It's the culmination of uh, God's story and pulling His people out of Egypt. As people that are in slavery, Passover happens. It's the final act to say, all right, you will be let go. And what happens is uh, God tells the, Moses, says, hey, tell all the Jewish people to cook a lamb. And with its blood, this is kind of weird, but put, put the blood on the doorposts of your house. And then the angel will pass over. 
good naming there, right? He'll pass over your house and not enact the plague of, of um, killing the firstborn on that house. Now, if you don't have the lamb's blood on your doorposts, it's going to be a bad day for you. Okay? And because of that plague, Pharaoh says, get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. And they start the exodus. They, start, they are pulled out. They are brought out by God um, through this, uh, this time. And so the Passover is to remember how God brought them out of slavery and set them free. So this is, you can see how that's a huge deal in the life of these, um, these people. And this is exactly the time where Jesus says, hey, this would be a good time for me to set free all of humanity. And so he enacts in this week of Passover. This is when I will do the sacrifice. This is when I will do the rest of the Easter story. And so communion is kind of building up to that. And communion is really when God is saying, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to flip this script. I'm going to change the way this all looks. This is going to be different for you. And his disciples, if you read the scriptures, his disciples are like, what is going on? This guy's talking. This is not the normal way we do Passover. Jesus is talking crazy talk here about dying and things like that. I don't know what's going on. Because they're ready for just the normal party. And Jesus starts twisting and changing them and, and amping it up a lot. And that's what's going on here. <clears throat> Luke 22, verse 14 to 20 says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostle reclined at the table. Yeah, do that with toddlers, right? Recline at the table to eat. That does not going to work at all. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay, so he's... He's starting to change, and they're going to be like, that's not in the normal Seder. And Seder means order, and Seder has been practiced for a long, 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 long time. And Seder is this, uh, if you've ever gotten the chance to do a Seder meal, uh, maybe with a Messianic Jew, or you grew up Jewish yourself, um, it's very interesting. And they go through all these different orders, and teaching and reteaching the story of Exodus to his people. Um, and that's what Jesus and his disciples are doing, a form of that. The one that we have today didn't come around until about um, 100, 200 uh, A.D., but there still the Passover has this normal kind of expectation. We're going to do this, kind of like we all have for Christmas Eve parties. We do this, and then we do that, and then we gorge ourselves on this, and then we open a present, and then we do that. You know, it's that, this is that kind of deal. We are, you have that set order, and everybody is like, oh, yeah, yeah, wait a minute, what's he talking about? He's not going to drink anymore. The party over? What's going on? And that, that's what's kind of going on here, here. And they're like, wait a minute. What's he talking about sacrifice? What, um, what, what is it? And so you get this really kind of interesting, I don't understand what's going on here, Jesus. And he starts to keep on pulling them in. Because I don't know about you, but if I mess with the Christmas order, if I mess with Christmas Eve, everyone would be looking at me and paying attention. Can't touch that. Hey, what do you mean we're not reading the Christmas story? What do you mean that you're not eating sausage balls? Are you sick? <laughs> you know, um, that, that's what happened this year. I didn't eat any sausage balls. Everyone knew Jared had 102 temperature because the sausage balls are still there. Um, but the same thing is happening here at Passover, right? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they're like, what's going on? Something's changed. 
Just like, think about, I use Christmas because it's, it's probably our most intimate family day. And that's what Passover is. It's just this really intimate time in the life of Jewish people to be together. And that everyone knows what great Aunt Sally is going to bring to the party, right? Everyone knows how it's all supposed to go. And so when Jesus starts to change these things, just with little changes, everyone knows because, hey, that's different. Are, are, you hearing, are you hearing me on this? Um, Okay, as Fiddler on the Roof says, tradition, and they know tradition, right? They know how this is supposed to go. You like that reference right there? All right. There's four cups uh, presented in a Seder meal. There's four cups here that Jesus probably would have used as well. Uh, Four cups full of wine. They would have used wine. Um, We don't know if it was watered-down wine, full-strength wine, what kind of wine. It's four cups of wine. We can have an argument over that later, but it's four cups of wine. What's going on? You're saying, hey... This is a party. The uh, Passover meal is celebrated. It is celebrated with these, these cups, and these cups all represent different things. These, these cups of, uh, represent uh, different functions of what God is doing. And uh, four cups in what's going on in the Exodus. In Exodus 6, it says, Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And there's a few promises here. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In the Seder and the Passover meal, each one of these I will statements became a moment to celebrate and to drink of the cup. Okay? First cup is called the cup of sanctification. And what that is, and we're going to talk about these a little bit more later, but the cup of sanctification is this cup of deliverance. I will deliver you. I will set you free. This is what drinking of that cup is and what that remembrance is. I will set you free. Second, a cup of redemption, which means I will, I'm sorry, second cup is a cup of deliverance. I will deliver you. I got all confused. A cup of sanctification is this. I will bring you out. I will take you out of bondage and slavery. The second cup is a cup of deliverance. I will deliver you. Not only will I set you free from bondage, is I will bring you all the way out of that. I'll take you all the way out of that. Third one is the cup of redemption. I will buy you back for a purpose. You are redeemable for a purpose. I bought some coupons yesterday. That's what I got at the auction. I can eat at Chili's. My kids can eat free at Chili's forever. Right? I want all those. No, no, you bid against me. Come on now, people. Uh, so we, I, get, I have all kinds of coupons to, to redeem. And they, they bought for a purpose so my kids can eat. And, and as well as that is a little silly thing at Chili's with us, it's the same thing here with this cup of redemption, that, that God is buying us back, not just because he wants to buy us back, not just because he thinks it'd be fun to do, but he's buying us back for a purpose, the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup uh, is a cup of praise. And it's a halal, which means to celebrate foolishly. And you can say four cups of wine, Maybe. But that's what it's called, the cup of praise. It's just a time to celebrate, a time to say, wow, look at all these things that God is doing. What does this mean for 
us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. As the blood of the lamb protected the people inside the house at the first Passover, Christ's blood protects us. There's a few truths that go along with these cups. The first one is this, God will bring me out. God will bring me out. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. He will bring me out of the stuff I find myself. Some of you today find yourself, I am in a bad place. I am in a spot where I do not need to be. I am stuck in a rut. I'm stuck in a place that, I know I'm not supposed to be here. And this first cup is a promise that I will bring you out of whatever situation you find yourself in. If he can bring the Egyptians out of slavery, slavery not just to some yahoo out there but slavery of the ultimate superpower of the time he can bring us out of whatever situation we are in second corinthians 6 do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common therefore come out from them and be separate says the lord touch no unclean thing and i will receive you i will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters says the lord almighty We yoke ourselves with things that shouldn't be. We bind ourselves to stuff that shouldn't have an active role in our life. And for some reason, we we latch on to them and we feel like we can't get rid of them. And we've just yoked ourselves with them. A yoke is what you put on oxen to pull a a team. They have to walk lockstep together to be functional. If you're trying to go one way, and this thing is trying to take you another way, that doesn't work too well because there's a yoke holding you together. And the scripture says, do not be yoked in that. You can't step fully into, uh, into that. So often, I think this is kind of the, the base part of what experiencing Jesus setting us out and bringing us out and being the sacrificial lamb for us is, is that... This may be our first experience with Jesus. Is I know that I'm in a junky spot and I need to be brought out. That when Jesus snaps that yoke of whatever you've yoked yourself to, that that is the moment that you first experience God in an amazing way. Today, I know some of us yoke our thing, yoke ourselves to to things and to people. And there's people in your life you're like, I don't know why I keep on trying to restore that relationship when all it does. You can hear like a vacuum cleaner whenever you come close to them. It's your joy being sucked out, right? Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. You walk in a room, you're like, oh, I don't want to be here, don't want to be here, don't want to be here. And all of a sudden, you found yourself in this knee-deep into gossip, knee-deep into doing whatever it is. And you're like, oh, I did it again, right? And then, and then this, this, I'll bring you out, is the snapping of the yoke to, uh, to flee from that. What to watch for. Satan will try to convince you that you're too far gone, that you're too bound to that slavery, too bound to that yoke, that you're in too bad of a place, that you're not worth saving. When that happens to you, because I still, I still get attacked this way. You're, you're not worth doing this stuff. God's, God's not going to... You used to win too many get-out-of-jail-free cards, Jared. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Say, get away from me. 
Jesus' name. It might sound funny, it may feel funny the first time you do it, second time you do it, the hundredth time you do it. There's power in Jesus' name. Rebuke it. Turn away from it. Drink from the cup of sanctification. Number two, second cup. God will set me free. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The blood of the Lamb has covered you, just as the blood of the Lamb, uh, the Lamb of God, Jesus, but just as the blood of the Lamb covered the doorposts for the Jews at Passover. You are free. The plague's not coming to get you. You are set free. So often we still live lives like a slave, even though we are free. We have this mindset like, oh, even though I'm free, I got to go back to that master. See, we've been, we, we, God will bring you out, but we're like, yeah, we took 20 steps, but, and I start walking back. The, the, Egyptian, or the Israelites do this with the Egyptians. They get stuck in the, the desert for a while, and they're like, you know what? It was probably better for us back as slaves. And Moses is like, what are you talking about? You were slaves. And God gets a little frustrated with them, and it's a fun little episode in Exodus. But we do the same thing. Oh, couldn't really be set free all the way. God can set you free. This is kind of a second step in, in, in experiencing all that God has for us. Yes, he'll snap that yoke, but he will set you free from it, that you no longer have to return to a life of slavery. Slavery to all kinds of different things. What to watch for. Satan will try to pull you back into slavery. You may be free, but you keep the mindset of a slave. Ask yourself, honestly, do I fall into this trap? Do I keep on returning? And if we're honest with each other, this is where we spend a long time of our Christianity. Long time of our walk with God. We just keep on coming back to the same thing over and over again. And we never actually step into being set free. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Turn away from it. Drink from the cup. The cup of deliverance. Number three. God will set me apart. First Peter 2.9 but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God will set me apart. This is the redemptive act. And this is one, I think, when we can take of this cup, Christianity, this whole walk with God, takes a whole new level. It, it, it starts to get away from this whole, am I, am I, am I in, am I out, am I... Where am, I, where am I thing? Because we can get stuck in that little uh, roundabout for a long, 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 long time. But when we start acting out of, our, um, <clears throat> out of our redemption, then we find purpose and a place for our lives. It's a promise of God that he will set us apart. He has a purpose for us, a plan for us, something for us to do. And for a long time, I've kind of thought, well, and being, coming from being a student pastor, being a youth pastor, it was, well, you know, you have the hyperactive junior who's like, I don't have my college picked out, and I don't know what classes I'm going to take my senior year of college yet. Right? We have all this stuff down. I need, I need all the, these things planned out. I need to know my first job and career. You're 15 years old. Chill out a little bit. I was that student, by the way. 
But some of you are the same way. I don't, I don't have all this stuff planned out. I don't have my job figured out. I don't know. God's purpose and plan for you most likely has nothing to do with your occupation. It has to do with your mindset. has nothing to do with your occupation. It has to do with your mindset. And that mindset is this. When you approach a situation, when you approach a conversation, when you approach something that you do, whatever it may be, taking out the trash, doing your job, ordering at Mark's, in this situation, can I bring glory to God? Because if you're wondering what your purpose is, that's what it is. Bare bones, how do I bring glory to God in this situation? And once you step into that, once you start going, okay, how do I bring glory to God in this situation? Everything becomes a lot more full. All your actions start to mean a little bit more. I worked as a, um, basically a, a sweat mopper upper at a, at a local gym for a year at 5 o'clock in the morning. If you know me, that is not a good job for me. Cleaning, not a good choice. Five o'clock in the morning, really not a good choice, right? And so that, that was my job, and I hated every single second of it. But I needed a job, and I needed to work, and I needed to provide for my family, so I did it. That job smelled different when, I started talk, when people started talking to me about Jesus. Because it's real easy to be like, why am I here? This is but it started to be a little different when I started taking opportunities with the trainers. they come over to me. Because at first they would start talking to me about, oh, what I did last night, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that's okay. They're like, you don't care? What did you do last night? Not that. <laughs> yeah. like, do you have fun? Yeah. I'm, I have a good, good time usually. And so it started these really awkward conversations of, you mean you didn't get drunk last night? No, I didn't. Okay. Well, now what are we going to talk about? And then all of a sudden, in like two or three weeks, you're still looking at me like, you didn't come in hang o- hung over. It's five o'clock in the morning. That's what you're supposed to do. I understand this, but I'm not. And everything started to be a little different when, the, when they started saying, hey, so I got this problem. What does that look like? And I was like, ooh, light bulb. But if I got too distracted, too mired in the fact that I'm cleaning sweat off the floor at five o'clock in the morning and got been cranky about it, I would have missed any opportunity to talk about God who loves them and cares about them wherever they're at and whatever they're doing. I, I bring that up because that's the one time I was really successful at it. I failed many, 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 many times at that. Even when I was being paid as a pastor, I failed at that. But I just say that because each and every one of our opportunities, whether it's fixing cars or writing code, or doing whatever it is, we have an opportunity to bring glory to God in everything that we do. We ask Him to be Lord of our life, and we ask Him to be Lord of our past, and we ask Him to be Lord of our future. But this one, I really think, this redemptive act is thinking about, do I want Him to be Lord of my present? Because if he's Lord of our present, then everything that we do should be orientated to pointing people back to him, to bringing glory to God. And I'm real comfortable with Jesus paying for my sins and dying on the cross for me thousands of years ago and taking me from the person I was. And I'm really super excited about him letting me into heaven. But right now, 
I can be pretty excited about just trying to do my own thing. And this idea right here is, is he our Lord of our past and is he Lord of our future? But do we today need to make a decision, an act to say, I want you, God, to be Lord of my present? How does that change us? How does that shape us? How does that move things? What to watch out for? Satan will try to tell you that you are worthless, that you don't matter, that you've screwed up too much. When in fact, everything you do matters because everything you do has the opportunity to bring glory to God. When Satan comes at you like that, rebuke it in Jesus' name. Turn away from it. Drink from the cup. There's been times where I like struggling with, with something in my house and like I just left the house. I just go to the Home, home Depot, walk around and look at tools that I can never afford. I just, just get away from it. I turn away from it. Get away from that, that problem, that crankiness, whatever it is. But drink from the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup, this is the fun one. It's the party cup, right? God will love me forever. I think this has a lot to do with how we interact with a community of believers, how we interact with church, how we do that. Because if we really take seriously this idea that God will love me forever, that this, this cup of praise should be like, are you kidding me? Every Sunday morning to us should be like, I get to go to church. Every time we serve, we should be like, I get to do that. I get to hand out bulletins. I get to change baby's diapers. I get to work in the kids' ministry. I get to go hang out with students. I get to lead in worship. I get to sing today. I get to organize this today. I get to do that. Because this is a cup of praise that God, infinite and wide, will love me forever. That is a long time. Forever, Brian. (laughs) That God will love me forever. Psalm 136 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. All of Psalm 136 is this really cool. It's supposed to be this corporate worship time. And, and, the, and the priest and the person who was leading would say something. Give thanks to the Lord God because he's awesome. And the whole crowd, all 150,000 people gathered on Temple Mount would say, His love endures forever. Awesome. I get tingles just thinking about that. Do you imagine what that would be like? With love endures forever. And these people would gather around at Passover and different times, and they would all gather on the Temple Mount, and they would recite Psalm 136. His love endures forever because in their daily life, in the way they live, in the way they act, in the way they do things, they need to be reminded that his love will endure forever. Maybe today... Wherever you're at, whatever you find yourself in, the stuff and the junk that you've been battling with, you need to remember that his love will endure forever. Satan will try to steal your joy in church. I call it the spirit of crankiness. Rebuke it. In Jesus' name, turn away from it. If you're coming to church, I guarantee you, some of you this morning that really needed to hear this message, your kids acted a fool big time, right? There's toothpaste all over the place. There is, you know, things happen. People, people that were potty trained for seven years. <laughs> it happens on Sunday morning. We know, we, 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 we have it here too. It's in the sound system. And we just have to like 
If, if we could put oil on the sound system, we would and just anoint it, but I think that might break it too. But, uh, you know, the sound system, it's a perfectly good sound system, and things will go crazy, and you're like, what, what just happened? It's, it's a spirit of crankiness just trying to invade. And we get mad at each other. What do you mean this wasn't done? What do you mean that's not this way? Wait a minute. Am I cranky with you because what... Am I finding joy in church? Am I finding joy in being here? Am I finding the joy of, of loving each other and loving God in this moment? Because guess what, guys? His love endures forever. Rebuke it. Turn away from it. Maybe you just need to stop and be like, all right, I understand my kids running around like a crazy person. I don't want to go to church right now because they have socks that don't match and their pants are on their head. <laughs> I have two four-year-olds. You know I know what I'm talking about but we're going to church and we're going to like it. (laughs) Turn away from it. Drink from the cup of praise. Today we're going to have the opportunity to to take communion. Band, you can come on up. Today we we have the opportunity to take of communion, to drink fully from the cup. And one of these four cups, I bet for you, is the cup you need to drink from today. Here at Shore, we operate under uh, open communion. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion with us this morning. What we will do is come and file down the middle, take of the elements, and then return to your seats through the side. That's just how we we do it here. It's kind of a self-service communion, but we want it to be a very intimate time uh, for you, and you can take it with your family. It's a self-guided communion. The band's going to play a a song that, that lasts for a while, and whenever you feel that you want to take communion, uh, you can. But here, as we take this communion, I bet that one of these four cups is resonating with you. Maybe today you need to be set free. Maybe today you need to be brought out. You're tired of playing this game of, I've fallen in love with God, I'm not in love with God, I'm falling in love with God, I'm in a bad place, and okay, I'm out, oh, I go back in. Maybe you're in a place you just need to be set free from all that. Maybe you're in a place that that needs to experience the redemption. You say, God, I've been doing this merry-go-round with you forever, but I don't feel like I'm I'm being used. I don't feel like I'm I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I don't really don't get anything out of life. I just feel like I'm running on a treadmill all the time. Maybe you need to drink deeply of the cup of redemption. The fourth cup, maybe you've just been dissatisfied with church for a while. You just feel like you're just going through the motions. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you need to drink from the cup of praise. Say, God, I want to I want to be in awe of you again. I want to be in awe of your love that endures forever. Right here, right now is a time that we can change our attitudes, that we can drink deeply of the cup of Christ. That this is his blood and this is his body broken and poured out for us. That we don't take communion lightly. That from here on out in our lives that we, we can think of the different things going on in our life and go, I need to drink of that cup today. I need to remember that I can be redeemed. That I am value. There is a purpose for my life. That God loves me intimately and more than I can ever imagine. Because that's what this symbolizes. And it's good to be reminded of that. I need it today and I bet you do as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and we thank you for these elements. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for Passover. 
God, there's times in our life where we just feel like we're in mud and we can't get out. God, we beg you, we ask you to pull us out of that. We can't do it under our own power. We can't do it just with willpower, our own strength. We need you, God. God, there's chains in our hearts and our minds that need to be broken. Things that just hold us back. God, right now I pray that you would shatter those chains. God, I pray for purpose. I pray for wisdom and seeing our purpose. I pray that you would show us how to live a life that brings glory to your name. God, I pray that we would learn how to party in you again. That the joy that was there when we were first saved, we return. That we remember what it's like to be brought out of slavery. That we remember what it's like to be brought out of the muck. To, we remember what it was like to have our chains broken. We remember what it's like to have purpose for our life and that we would be awed in it. That your love doesn't fade, it doesn't go away, it doesn't dissipate with time, that it endures forever. God, we thank you and we love you. We ask you to make that real to us today as we take these elements. That as we examine ourselves, as we examine our hearts, that we remove, just like the yeast, remove it from our lives. God, take our junk, take our nastiness, take all these things so that we can be presented to you. God, we love you more than we can say. trying to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.